0: We appreciate everyone uh, who's present today. We're glad you're here. And our hope and prayer is that our time together will be beneficial and helpful to us as we uh, strive, first of all, to do God's will and to please Him in what we do, uh, but also to build each other up and encourage each other and inspire each other uh, along the way. I'll invite you this morning to turn to the book of Joshua. Now, look at an episode in the. Uh, uh, the history of Israel this morning, hope that it'll serve as uh, some, some kind of help to us today. Uh, you might have noticed when you drove in this morning that uh, the grass is cut, it looks great, and, and uh, uh, there's pine, fresh pine straw in the beds, and the trees are trimmed, and all that kind of thing. had a work day yesterday here at the building, and uh, I'm not sure how many we had, I think probably close to 25 or 30, something like that and uh, uh, came and uh, worked around the, the grounds and uh, made everything really good. I think uh, people who are here ranged in age from maybe 15 up to, well, quite a bit older than that. So uh, just appreciate everybody's good work, which simply illustrates the, uh, the fact that there are many people who do things here that don't go noticed a lot of times, that don't get a lot of attention. Uh, they're, they're, they're the kinds of things that only get attention if they're not taken care of, if they're not done. And so there are a whole lot of people who do that and we appreciate the, their efforts and their good work. And so just wanted to mention that. Well, we look at like I said a moment ago, an episode in the history of Israel from the book of Joshua. Now if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, you remember that God made Abraham three promises, three basic promises. And so, one was that he would make of his descendants a great nation, and of course, that comes to pass. Eventually, Israel, the Jewish nation, develops from the offspring of Abraham, and uh, they do, in fact, become a great nation. He also says that in your seed, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and eventually, that comes to pass in Christ. And the third, the third promise that we'll note is that. God would give that nation that developed from the descendants of Abraham a land to live in. And uh, that's again Genesis chapter 12. Now God elaborates on that promise a little bit more as as time goes by. And uh, that land of course would become, or it would be the land of Canaan, the the land known as the land of Canaan. It would be uh, that area between the, the Mediterranean Sea and then the Jordan River. Uh, to the west and to the east. It would be Egypt to the south, Syria to the north. And so that that land, the land of Canaan, would be uh, the land that the descendants of Abraham would possess. It would become their home. They would conquer that land and live in it. Well, you remember they went down into Egypt, and then after four generations, they were brought up out of Egyptian bondage. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their lack of faith. But then eventually, Joshua leads them across the Jordan and leads them into the Promised Land. They are to conquer the land. They are to uh, take the cities in the land. And then they are to control the land and possess the land. That's the land that God had promised to give them. Now, the first city that they assaulted, the first city that they took, was the city of Jericho. And you will remember the story. Uh, uh, they, They had crossed the Jordan. They were settled in Gilgal. And then God gives them instructions to follow so that they might take the city of Jericho. And so the instructions went like this. Once a day for six days they were to march around the city of Jericho. Once a day for six days. On the seventh day they were to march around the city seven times. The, police, the priest would blow the trumpets, the people would shout and then they could go in and take the city. And that's exactly what happened. We read about that in Joshua chapter 6. On that seventh day they march around the city seven times, the priests blow the trumpets, uh, the people shout, the walls fall and the people go in and they take the city. Now God had given them some more instructions. Other than that He would given them some additional instructions. They were not to take any of the plunder, any of the spoils from the city of Jericho for themselves. Listen to what he says, chapter 6 and verse 17. The city shall be under the ban, it and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. And then verse 18, as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban, and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And so when you go into the city and you see the valuable articles that belong to the people in the city, those don't belong to you. (laughs) Those belong to the Lord. You're not to take any of that for yourself. So you go in and here's some gold and silver here's some other valuable things that doesn't belong to you that belongs to the lord you remember that the first and the best belong to the lord and so that's that's the idea here this is the first city that they're going to take everything that's of value is to be given to the house of the lord and that's what they do they go in uh, the walls fall you remember that they go in the city And they take the plunder, and then they burn the city with fire. It's almost like a whole burnt offering to the Lord, isn't it? They burn the city with fire. Well, in chapter 7, we read about the second city that they were going to take. And uh, the name of this city is Ai. Now, that's the way I'm going to pronounce it. I've heard it pronounced different ways, I or Ai. I'm going to say Ai mainly because that's the way I learned it when I was a little boy. And so they're going to take this second city. Well, Joshua sends some spies into Ai, just like he had sent some spies into Jericho. And they come back with a good report. And they say, you know, this city is smaller. It's not as strong as Jericho. Jericho is a strong city, very ancient city. It's well defended, well protected. But Ai was not that way at all. It's a smaller city, not nearly as strong, not nearly as well protected. And they tell Joshua... Now it won't take nearly as many people to take Ai as it did Jericho. A small force will be more than enough, 2 or 3,000 people. And so Joshua chooses 3,000 men, and they go into Ai, and here's what, here's what happens. Um, verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth Aven, east of Bethel. He said to them, go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. The next verse he tells them, a small force will be sufficient. Verse 4, 3,000 men from the people went up there. But they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim. And struck them down to the descent Uh, so the hearts of the people melted and became as water and so they go to a a smaller city weaker city and they're repulsed they're they're driven away Uh, in fact they lose some men 36 of the Israelites die what in the world happened Again, a smaller city, a weaker city, it should be very easy for them to go in and take this city with no trouble. But but instead of taking the city, they're defeated. They retreat. (laughs) They they have to run away. They're they're losing some of their soldiers. What happened? Well, chapter 7, verse 1 tells us, The sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. And so here's this man, Achan, easy to remember. Easy to remember his name, isn't Achan, you know, he's going uh, you know, to suffer as the result of his sin. And so he has taken some of the things They really belonged to the Lord and should have been put in the house of the Lord. And so you see it again in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why hasn't you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. You can't progress. You can't go forward. You're not going to have success until you deal with this issue. if you deal with the issue, then okay, maybe you can go and have success. But you cannot go forward until you deal with this issue. So the Lord gives them a process by which they identify the guilty party. Eventually, Achan is identified and he's confronted. You can begin in verse 16 and read through this. And uh, Joshua in verse 19 implores Achan to just simply admit what what he's done. And in verse 20, Achan said... I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. I coveted them, and I took them. And behold, they're concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So this is what I did when I went into the city of Jericho. I saw these things, gold and silver, and this beautiful garment, and I thought, you know, I'd like to have those for myself, and so he took them for himself in transgression. Remember, God said, "Don't take anything," and so he violated that command and he took something for himself, and of course, he's uh, he suffers for it. Verse twenty-five: Joshua said, "Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day." And all Israel stoned them with stones, burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. talking about Achan and his family. So let's talk a little bit about Israel's defeat at Ai. I got the story in front of you a little bit. And so let's, let's draw out from this story some principles that I think will help us, I hope will help us anyway. The first point I want to make is a, a simple one, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. It's this, when God says don't take anything, He means don't take anything, <laughs> you know. Again, yeah, you know, that's, that's pretty plain, isn't it? God said, don't take anything, don't take any of the plunder for yourselves. When you go in there and see gold and silver and things like that, those belong to the Lord. Don't take anything. Well, what did he mean? Oh, he means don't take anything. Simple enough, isn't it? Now, he can learn that the hard way. Now, God had told them many times to obey, many, many times He had told Israel to obey. Look at a few passages. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 1. This is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So very plain. I'm giving you these things for you to keep them. You be careful to do them. And so another word for that, simply obey. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, walk in all His ways and love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments and His statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good? What does the Lord God require of you? To fear Him and keep His commandments. (laughs) And so if His commandment is don't take anything, well, then you're not to take anything. That's that's simple obedience, submitting to the will of God and doing and keeping what He tells us to do and keep. Well, I wonder, has God changed in these matters? Has has He changed His mind about the necessity of our obedience? Is, Is He any less serious today about our obedience isn't it, you know, well that's the Old Testament and God was really strict in the Old Testament. And he demanded obedience, but today, you know, he's a lot looser and he's a lot lax about these things. And obedience is really not as important today as it was back then. I mean, is that, is that right? Is that the way we're to think about obedience? Well, obviously I think not. Um, you don't have to turn to all these, but here are several New Testament passages that emphasized the need to obey. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so that has reference to the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and God had told that generation, you will not enter into the land of rest, the promised land, the land of Canaan. Well, who was it that he said would not enter, it was the disobedient. But then the writer goes on to say, therefore let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of. You see what he's saying? They failed to enter because of disobedience. Well, that's a lesson to us. If we don't obey, we're going to fall short as well. There are other passages that might even be clearer than that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. 1 Peter 1 and uh, verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. How is it that we purify our souls? In obedience. (laughs) Obedience to the truth. All right, simple enough. Look at the book of Matthew, and we'll notice two or three passages from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 19, Jesus makes this statement. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so here are the commandments of God, and whoever annuls any of them, even the least of them, teaches others that they may disregard them, well, they're least in the kingdom of heaven. And so the idea is, here are the commandments of God, you need to listen to them and do them. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Jesus describes the judgment. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven... And so in the judgment, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But but, but who? Those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's obedience, right? Doing the will of the Father. In other words, we're not just paying lip service to the Lord. We're actually submitting to Him and obeying Him. Look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17. Matthew 19 Verse 17, now this is in the middle of the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, You remember he comes to Jesus and asks him, you know, what what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. (laughs) Keep the commandments. How do you keep commandments? If God says, don't do this, how do you keep that commandment? Well, you don't do it. If God says to do this, if you're going to keep the commandment, well, you do it. Did Agan keep the commandment? Oh, no. God said, don't take these things, and he took them. He didn't keep the commandment. How do you enter into life? Well, part of what we do is keeping the commandments of God. In John chapter 3, and then right at the end of that chapter, verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. The wrath of God abides on him. Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Verse 21 of John 14, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Who loves me? The one who has my commandments and keeps them. Well, you get the point. Is God any less interested in obedience today than he was then, well, no. Even in the New Testament, we've seen all these passages and we could multiply them many times over, I'm sure. All of these passages tell us to obey. We must, we must obey. And so if the Lord says, forgive, what does he mean by that? Okay, it means forgive. If the Lord says, don't lie, well, what does he mean by Okay, he means don't lie, you know. If God says, don't take these things, what does he mean? It means don't take those things. I'm not saying we should rip statements out of their context, and we need to do our best to understand the words of the Bible and understand them within their immediate context and more remote context. And we need to interpret Scripture in light of other Scripture, remember, all, you know, all of those things. But once we determine this is the commandment of the Lord, well, we need to do that. Here's an observation. We didn't look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, but another passage that uh, encourages or demands obedience, pointing to the example of Christ, although He was a son, He learned obedience from the things that He suffered. Having been made perfect, He became to all those who obey Him, the author, the source of eternal life. For whom is Christ the source of eternal life? All those who obey Him. Again, obedience emphasized. But the other thing I want to note from that passage is that obedience is not a natural part of our constitution. (laughs) we, We don't obey naturally. Any parent who's raising a child knows that they have to be taught to obey. Obedience doesn't come to us naturally. We have to learn obedience and sometimes we learn obedience through the things that we suffer. Even the Son, the Son of God Himself, had to learn obedience through the things that he suffered. So obedience doesn't come naturally to us. We want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. You know, if we see something we want, we want to take it for ourselves. And so we have to learn to submit our will to the Father's will, subject ourselves to Him and His authority, and obey Him in everything we do. And so, here's one of the lessons from Israel's defeat at Ai. It's just a lesson in obedience. If God says don't take something, he means don't take something. Okay, here's another lesson. Sin has a harmful effect on the sinner. That's something we don't always realize, but it's, it's true. We should realize it. We might know it intellectually, but sometimes we have a hard time coming to terms with that. Now, Achan sinned, right? Achan sinned. He took the gold, he took the silver, he took the garment, and at first I'm sure he thought, this is going to be to my advantage. I'm going to benefit from having this gold. I'm going to benefit from having the silver and the garment. But eventually his sin harmed him. He was hurt by his sin. And we saw how his, his, uh, his life ended up. He's exposed and, and confronted and he's held accountable. Sin has a harmful effect on us. The devil promises us that sin will be good for us or help us in some way, but it never does. It it always comes around to to bite us. Here are a few examples. The Bible tells us that pride goes before a fall. How many times have we seen it? You You can almost predict it, can't you? Here's a man, or it could be a woman, but here's a man, he's arrogant. He's lifted up with pride. He thinks he's something when he's really nothing. And you you can just about see it coming, can't you? He thinks he's above the law. He thinks he's too clever to be caught. And so he tries to get away with some shady deals or he tries to get away with some sin. And and then he's exposed and he's caught and he falls and he falls hard. And so he he thinks that, that he's doing well when really his sin, the sin of pride... Ends up hurting him. Our sin is going to hurt us. It always will. Peter is a good example of this in the Bible. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33. Here that Jesus is telling them, all of you are going to fall away before this night is over. And Peter says, not me. Not know about these other guys, but I'm not going to. I'm ready to go to prison even to death with you. And you can see the the, the, the pride in those words. Now, I don't know about these others, but that's not going to happen to me. And and what happens? Of course, he he falls. Our pride is going to hurt us. Our lust is going to hurt us. One of the most destructive influences in our lives. Brother Kevin talked about this the other day from the book of Proverbs. Remember Proverbs chapter 7? Talks about the, the man going after the seductive woman, and he describes that man in this way. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. And so here's a man, he follows her just like an ox, ignorantly, unknowingly, naively, goes, goes to the slaughter. No, we can't take fire into our bosom and not be burned. Now, the devil is, tells us that that lust, you know, that, that's, you, you give in to that, you're going to be satisfied. Uh, you're you're, you're going to be better off. You're, you're gonna, that's going to be to your advantage. But it never works out that way. I've made this observation before, I believe it's true. <laughs> Just to show you how powerful this influence is in our lives. You can sit down and tell somebody, and they're involved in a relationship they shouldn't be in, and, and you sit down and tell them. Now, if you do this, you're going to lose everything. <laughs> you're going to lose your home. You're going to lose your wife. You're going to become a every other weekend and two weeks in the summer kind of dad. You're, you're going to lose all of that. And, and he can sit there and, and agree. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I can see. Yeah, I know. And what does he do when you quit? Get through? Just like an ox to the slaughter. You know, yeah, his, his lust is going to hurt him. Our lust, like all other sins, is going to hurt us. It doesn't produce contentment, and it doesn't produce satisfaction. It produces the very opposite. It produces dissatisfaction and discontent. So the devil is telling you, for men, if you look at that woman, that's going to make you feel good whether you look at a woman in person or some sort of graphic representation, if you look at that, that's going to make you feel better. But what does that do? It really only creates dissatisfaction and discontent. It's going to hurt us. Our greed is going to hurt us. What evil have people not done because of greed? In fact, if you look at First Timothy chapter 6, there Paul talks about people piercing themselves through with many sorrows, as a result of their greed, cheating, lying, murder, jealousy, financial ruin as a result of our greed. The Bible tells us to be content and to be generous. Our anger is going to hurt us. The Bible continually warns against anger. We're to put aside anger. We're to put it away from us. And so, continually warned against anger. Now, anger... There are two types of anger. One is that sudden outburst of anger. You know, it comes over us and we just, we get mad. And in a flash, or we say things and we do things that later we regret. And then there's that other kind of anger that just sees beneath the surface. Over a long period of time, it makes us bitter. Over time, it makes us bitter. Makes us um, um, people of malice and ill will all the kinds of things that we really don't want to be. Anger has a really detrimental effect on us. And so you see, sin has a harmful effect on the sinner. If we could just learn that lesson, sin is going to hurt you. And so when we're tempted by greed or lust or jealousy or anger, if we can just realize, now if I give in to that, that's going to hurt me. It's not going to help, it's going to hurt me. Maybe that will help us to avoid it. Now Achan learned that lesson too late. Your sin is going to hurt you. Uh, But maybe we can uh, be advised ahead of time. And then there's one other point I want to make. Not only does sin have a a detrimental effect on the sinner, sin has a harmful effect on those around us. Now Achan's sin harmed two groups of people, his family and then the army or the nation of Israel. And so, because of Achan's sin, the family suffered right along with him. Remember, not only was Achan killed, but his family also was executed as a result of Achan's sin. And then, as a result of Achan's sin, Israel was defeated by her enemy. Thirty-six men were killed, and then the army of Israel had to flee before the people of Ai. They were humiliated before the enemies of God, and in a sense, God Himself That reflects badly on God, on God himself. This is the God of Israel. He's not strong enough for you to defeat this little town of Ai, you know. So that reflects badly on God himself. So Achan's sin affected the entire nation. Sin today may affect our family. My sin may affect my family, okay? And it may affect others as well. We'll get to that in a minute. Many families have been terribly damaged by an angry man. Just think about the effect that anger. Here's an angry man in the family, and he expresses that anger in different ways, but how harmful that is to his wife and to his children. Didn't have to be men, but use that simply as an illustration. How many families have been terribly damaged by a drunken man? <laughs> you know. And so you say so your sin is going to affect other people around you. How, how many. Families have been harmed terribly by a gambling man or a lustful man. Again, a sinful woman in a family can do irreparable damage. Even children can bring shame on the family and do harm to parents and to a family. Even children can do that. And so the point is, you know, our actions affect other people. We we need to teach our children that. Your actions affect other people. It's not just yourself, and so sometimes we think, well, it's my decision, I can do what I want, and if that brings some harmful consequences on me, well, so what? It's, it's my decision. No, your actions affect other people. Achan's actions affected his family. Your actions might affect your family as well, your wife, your husband, your children, your parents. So when you think about that before we yield to temptation, And sometimes the problem is simply selfishness, which leads to things like anger and drunkenness and and, uh, sexual uh, misconduct. But our our sin can affect the local church as well. Now Paul deals with this in his letter to Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul deals with a, a man who had his father's wife in an inappropriate relationship. And, and the church there is, is taught to clean out the leaven. And so you remember the idea that in the Old Testament, Passover uh, time, Israel, the Israelites were to clean the leaven out of their house to get rid of it, not to have any leaven in the house. And so what uh, Paul is saying in the church, you have sin in the church, you need to do something about that. You need to clean that out. Very similar to what happened in the situation with Achan before you can move forward as an army and as a nation, you've got to address the problem of sin. And once you address that problem, okay, now, now, we, can, now we can make some progress. And so just as leaven uh, affects the whole, lump, the whole loaf of bread, whatever it is, it's, it's rising, so sin can affect the entire church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul even mentions specifically some who are to be cleaned out of the local church. You can read that in verse, well, verse 11. I uh, wrote to you not to associate with any brother, anyone who's named a brother, if he's a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a vile or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a one. You've got to deal with this. You've got to address it before you can really move on and make progress in the way that you should. There's more than one way to deal with sin, of course. We can teach people how they should behave. We can address the situation privately, as Jesus teaches in Matthew 18. We can encourage and support people to try to help them develop so that they remove the sin from their lives. Sometimes we can rebuke sin. We can issue them a warning. But what we cannot do is allow open sin to go unaddressed. That's one thing we can't do. You can teach people. You can work with people you can encourage them, what you cannot do is allow it to go unaddressed. Sin never strengthened the church, did it? Sin has never strengthened the church. And so uh, we need to address it when it arises. Our sin is gonna affect other people. It's gonna affect our family, it's gonna affect our brethren, may affect our coworkers and those of our associates, but it'll never affect people for the good. Here's just a few lessons from Israel's defeat at Ai's. You know, sometimes we have to learn from the mistakes of others. Just a simple lesson in obedience and a lesson in the effects of sin. Sin is always harmful to us. And sin affects in a harmful way the people around us as well. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the opportunity to come together today and to worship you. And we pray, Father, that the things we've done have been pleasing to you. We pray also, Father, that we've been helped by these things, and in some way we've been strengthened by them, and they uh, help in our spiritual growth and development. Father, we're thankful for the Scriptures. We're thankful that we have access to them, that we can read them and understand them. We're thankful for stories like the one that we've talked about today, that we might learn from, those, from them uh, principles that uh, help us live lives that are pleasing to you. Help us, Father, to submit to your will and submit to your authority and, and obey you. Obey and keep and do your commandments. Help us to understand the effects of sin. If we yield to temptation, even though the devil promises that these sins will be to our advantage in some way, help us to see through that lie. And see the harmful nature of sin. Help us, Father, to understand that our sin affects other people. And uh, there might be uh, uh, some really detrimental effects of our, of our choices on our family and our friends, our co workers, our classmates, our uh, fellow Christians as well. And Father, help us, once we understand these things, to use them so that we might resist sin, that we might not yield to the lies of the devil. Help us, Father, each day to become more and more and more the kind of people that please you, so that we might have legitimate hope of life together with you through eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.